In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy his consolations through Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Jesus and his disciples went as far as Capernaum, and as soon as the Sabbath came, he went to the synagogue and began to teach. And his teaching made a deep impression on them because, unlike the scribes, he taught them with authority. In their synagogue just then, there was a man possessed by an unclean spirit, and it shouted, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus said sharply, Be quiet, come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw the man into convulsions and with a loud cry went out of him. The people were so astonished that they started asking each other what it all meant. Here is a teaching that is new, they said, and with authority behind it. He gives orders even to the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And his reputation rapidly spread everywhere, through all the surrounding Galilean countryside. We have just begun the Gospel of St. Mark. We're already, though, at the fourth Sunday of Ordinary Time, and we're still in chapter one. There's a lot going on in that first chapter of St. Mark, an awful lot. Mark has really packed everything in, and he's not spending too much time on details either, because it's one event after another. Chop, chop, chop. So, here it is, we're in Mark 1, and we are moving in concentric circles. So we're generally in Galilee, and, and now we're in Capernaum, and in Capernaum we're in the synagogue. So we're very localized now in a particular place. And in fact, you can still, in the ruins of the old town of Capernaum, you can see where that synagogue was. So it's all very vivid. And in that synagogue... There's a lot going on. We're just after the call of the disciples, which happened by the Lake of Galilee. So that was the, the surrounding. So it happened around Capernaum, presumably, especially as Peter's house is in Capernaum. And in fact, Capernaum is called really the home of Jesus. To some extent, Capernaum is the adopted home of Jesus. Of course, we know Jesus is from Nazareth. Even the, the unclean spirit says so. Um, Jesus of Nazareth, he calls him by his location, as was uh, traditional. But uh, in Mark 2, so soon after, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at, at home. So Jesus has literally made his home in Capernaum in the house of Simon as a base from where he preaches. And in Matthew 9, 1, he came to his own city. 
he crossed over the Sea of Galilee, came into his, his own city. The city is Capernaum, which is by the Sea of Galilee, as opposed to Nazareth, which is a bit further off inland. We have also the confirmation that this was what Jesus was doing was in Galilee, going into the synagogues and teaching in the synagogue. So Luke, in Luke 4, again, this is the first thing that, that Jesus does when he returns into Galilee after the temptation and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And in, even he goes back to Nazareth in the account from Luke and goes to the synagogue here again. And Matthew in, in Matthew 4 tells us he went to live in Capernaum by the sea. So Capernaum is really the place where he settles. And so it's normal that he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath. But he begins to teach now something which he's never really been heard or seen to do before his baptism. Something very new. And immediately they realize there's something different about this man. Something very, very different. So the people involved in the whole episode is Jesus and his disciples, which in the text you know, of, of the Sunday Gospel is given us as Jesus and his disciples went as far as Capernaum. But in the actual text of the Gospel, it just says they. It says Jesus and his disciples for us so that we know because we're not reading the, the Gospel of Mark in entirety. But Mark just says they because... After a very short while, Mark doesn't really bother with telling us names. It's all about Jesus and his disciples now, because he's just called them. But it's also about Jesus that he doesn't even give us his name. It's so he, 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 and they, 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 namely Jesus and his disciples. We have the people in the synagogue. We have this encounter with the man with unclean spirit, and that's the whole drama of this episode. But... The point of the drama is really to highlight something which the people have already picked up, which is the authority of Jesus. Because the authority of Jesus is perceived not just at the moment of the exorcism, but before that. And this authority is the bracket between which we have the episode of the exorcism. So that first paragraph, those first two sentences... His teaching made a deep impression on them because unlike the scribes, he taught them with authority. Then comes the exorcism and then the people were so astonished. Here is a teaching that is new and with authority behind it. So the authority that Jesus already has in teaching is as it were confirmed by the exorcism, but it's not just perceived then and then through the exorcism. There's already something about the teaching of Jesus which is completely different. And so this whole tiny passage of both word and action, and remember, word and deeds, word and action, is always how the Lord manifests himself, reveals himself. He doesn't just reveal himself in words. He also confirms his word with action and sometimes prepare his actions or explain his actions with his words. But they always go together throughout the whole history of salvation. So, for example, one of the mightiest acts of salvation performed by the Lord, which is constantly recalled in, in the religion of Israel, is the Passover. Now, the Passover, you would say, well, it was pure action, 
you know, the, the, the dividing of the sea, the crossing of the sea, just pure action. But yet, immediately after the Passover, you have the covenant on, on Sinai, which is which is happened, and this is where the Lord gives his word. And as it were, the words confirm and explain the whole of the action that's been taking place, that Israel is the chosen people of God, and that God is making a covenant, you shall be my people, I shall be your God, I have saved you, I have done all this for you, now keep my word. So you have word and action always together. It's the same with the Lord. When the Lord comes to us, when God comes to us in the person of Jesus, we have both words and action together. So, for example, in the Gospel of St. John, it's so clear that you have seven signs, seven actions, confirmed and explained every time by a teaching. So, for example, the multiplication of the loaves and the teaching on the bread of life or the healing by the pool of Bethsaida and the teaching about Jesus being uh, the, the judge uh, sent by the Father. Words and action inseparably. And here in Mark, you have them in the style of Mark in a very short summary. And we don't even have an account of what those words ex exactly were. We just know it was teaching in the synagogue that made that deep impression on them. And then the action comes and then that confirms, as it were, the authority of the teaching. But both of them are different. Both of them are given in a very unusual way. And, and this is what the people immediately perceive, this deep impression that here is something new. Here is a teaching that is new. Here is something that's never been experienced before. The kind of authority behind the word and behind the action that has not ever been perceived from anyone else. And this is for us the clue to tell us, oh, where does that authority come from? Who is Jesus? Why is he different? And this is what we're going to explore tonight together. So the teaching is different and this manifests the coming of the kingdom of God, which Jesus has just proclaimed. The kingdom of God is at hand and for which he has just called his disciples. So that was last week's gospel. So, so the, the kingdom comes in the calling of the disciple and now the kingdom of God enters into the synagogue. And this is filled with paradoxes and contrasts. Really a very dramatic passage, lots of contrasts, and lots of drama. First of all, the kingdom of God seems to invade the synagogue, primarily because what Jesus is doing here, as I said, is completely different, with an authority, first of all, that the scribes never had, or never seemed to have. Unlike the scribe, he taught with authority. Here is something unusual, different, completely new. How come does the kingdom of God invade the synagogue, which is already the place where we hear the word of God? How come the scribes have no authority or have less authority than Jesus in talking about the word that God has already given? 
The synagogue would be the holiest place in Capernaum. The synagogue would be the place, short of being able to go to the temple in Jerusalem, the synagogue would be the place of encounter with God in his word, the place where we gather to pray and to hear the word of God and to have it explained. So how come the scribes not only don't teach like Jesus, uh, don't have the authority of Jesus, but even more so are unable to keep the place holy insofar as there is this man with the unclean spirit who happens to be right in the synagogue. Uh, he's not outside, he's not... So, so the manifestation of evil happens in the place that is supposed to be holy, in the place that is supposed to be filled with the word of God, with people listening to the word of God, with people obeying the word of God, with people under the inspiration, under the influence of the spirit of God. And here in the place of the synagogue, here is a man under the influence of the spirit of evil. How is this possible? And so we have this contrast and this confrontation. And that difference of Jesus is the difference of holiness. And this is exactly what the unclean spirit shouts out to Jesus. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And in saying this, the unclean spirit, the evil spirit, which is because it's a spiritual being, so a fallen angel, is more powerful than a human person. Uh, his capacity to know and to understand is clearer and sharper, as it were, because it's a higher kind of being. So he's realized something about Jesus that people around him haven't, because he's a different kind of being. The Holy One of God. And it is spot on. It's, a, it's an absolute fitting title that actually encapsulates and define how different Jesus is from the scribes and from, for that matter, from everyone else. So the difference that Jesus brings is precisely holiness, the Holy One of God. But who is holy? Only God is holy. Only God is holy. And so the things and people are holy insofar as they are in contact with God. Now, to be holy, so in Greek it would be hagios, but this holiness really means to be set apart, to be different. This setting apart, which is precisely what Jesus is, is completely different from the rest. To be set apart, to be consecrated, to be different. And it's, it's a very difficult word to define as such because precisely it doesn't really belong to the realm of humanity insofar as it really does belong to God to um, manifest the transcendence of God the otherness of God, the separateness from, of God, who is creator, who is above, who is beyond the reach of humanity, and yet sort of invades 
as it were, well, not invades, but comes, visits humanity through his word, and therefore the temple is built around the tables of the law, the word of God, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the Holy of Holies, which no one can approach because it's so different, it's so sacred. So the holiness of God, anyone who is in contact with, has anything to do with the things of God, becomes holy. So the sanctuary in the temple, the Holy of Holies, is a place, is a location that's been built by human hands. But it becomes holy because it is the house for the word of God. And the priests in the Old Testament are holy because they're set apart, concentrated for the work of God. And here we have the Holy One of God, who is, as it were, holiness itself, because here is God. And so holiness invades in the person of Jesus the place that is supposed to be holy. And that's why this teaching is spoken with authority. And that's why suddenly something happened which humanity in and of itself by nature is incapable of doing, which is to face and confront the problem of evil and to offer a hope. Because with the man with the unclean spirit, we have someone who is beyond the power of humanity to fix. Uh, and that is the whole tragedy of evil that is met, this whole drama that is met in this gospel. That here we face, in the place that is supposed to be holy, in the place that is supposed to be kept apart for the word of God, the synagogue, the invasion of evil in the man possessed, and no one can do anything about it. But here comes Jesus, who not only speaks with authority, but has the authority to eradicate evil and to drive that, that unclean spirit away. So, if you want, in the first chapter of the Gospel of St. Mark, we have something that is parallel to the first chapter of the, of the Gospel of St. John. And it tells us uh, how God deals with evil. And that God is the total opposite of evil. John puts it in terms of light and darkness. So we have it, it's, it's very beautiful and poetic, one to, one to five. The word who is God is the light. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This would be a metaphor for what's happening in that synagogue. The light enters the synagogue, the darkness is driven away with the man with the unclean spirit. John puts it in a beautiful language, poetical language. Mark actually says it, describes it as a real event, which it was in the synagogue of Capernaum, where the light drove the darkness away in the person of Jesus, the Holy One who drives evil away. But this is an image for us uh, and a reality for us of how God deals with evil and can deal with evil and that he's the only one who can do that. No one has the authority to do that. No one has the power to confront evil in, in all its um, horror. And so we don't have really an explanation for the problem of evil in that gospel. We just have its reality, which we all experience. 
in that synagogue. And we have how God deals with it in Jesus. Now this calls for an obedience of faith. And this faith is what is the faith that a disciple should have. Now it's very different from what the unclean spirit is speaking through that poor man. When the unclean spirit says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, it sounds like a profession of faith, but it's not. It's just a statement of probability. Uh, it's, it's a knowing, but it's not a believing insofar as it is completely empty of trust and obedience, even though it has to obey uh, because Jesus has authority over it, so it has to, you know, be gone. The the words of Jesus are imposed on that spirit, not as, uh, they're not received in faith, they're received in terror and, and in um, powerlessness. The evil spirit is powerless when confronted with the voice of Jesus, which is the voice of God, the creator, God, the saviour. Uh, and and in here actually just to to do a little uh, bracket this is uh, this this really brings to us the reality that for christianity the fight between good and evil is not even it's not like two equal forces at work in the world the power of good and the power of evil no with christianity it's very very evident and clear throughout the whole of the message of christianity the whole of the gospels that the goodness of God is unparalleled and that evil is, is nothing to it. it. It has absolute power. Confronted in, in facing the power of God in Jesus, evil has no power at all. So it's not an even match. And, and the outcome is already clear and decided the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it and this is something we must and believe absolutely but to come back to the the knowledge that the unclean spirit has of god it is a knowledge to some extent yes a, a knowledge of that looks like faith because it sort of is a confession, it's a proclamation of who Jesus is that could not be perceived from what Jesus looked like because he looked like just any other man. So faith perceives what cannot be seen. And insofar as the unclean spirit perceives what cannot be seen, it is look like faith. But to come back to the words of St. James in James 2, 18, 19, someone will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. So in that sense, it's a knowing, but it's not a trusting, and it's not an adherence. It's not a, a, a commitment. And, and that adherence and commitment is manifest in the works that St. James talks about. And, and the works are not just something we do, but it's what we decide from what we know. And the first thing that we can decide from what we know, if we know that Jesus is God, then is we trust in him. 
and that's already a work if you want. It's, a, it's an aspect of our, of our will that is at work in adhering, in committing ourselves to Jesus, in submitting ourselves to his word, in obeying him. Again, the obedience of the demon is not an obedience of faith. When he comes out of that man, it's against his will. But the obedience of a disciple is an obedience that takes our whole being, that is total and entire. And that is the true obedience of faith, faith united with love, faith and works. I hope that makes sense. Um, now, to come back to this, we have here then the big clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of evil. And there's no discussion as the outcome. There's no hint of a hope of, or any glimmer of um, hope that evil will succeed. Evil will never, ever succeed. God has the victory. The kingdom of God has come. And this is ineluctable now. And it's being uh, built right now. And so it's being built through Jesus, by Jesus, and essentially by the redemption that he brings about. It's being, it, it is manifested in the person of Jesus. And then it's being built in his disciples in us. So the fight between good and evil now is taking place in the human heart. And it's being built through the church and in the church. So we're going to look very briefly at those three aspects and how this comes about. So how do we find God in this text? How does he manifest himself? He is in Jesus. He's faithful to the law. On the Sabbath, he goes to the synagogue. And that's something we really need to remember about Jesus because it was valid for the whole of his hidden life and it is valid for the whole of his public life. Jesus does not set himself above the law. Of course, there's a whole mixture of teaching that he gives us where he really gives us a perspective on what the law is and what it's for and that, you know, it's made for us, we're not made for it. Uh, and, and also he is master of the Sabbath, he says. The Son of Man is master of the Sabbath. And yet he obeys by going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. So there is a, an obedience, a faithfulness of Jesus to, as it were, his own law, because it's the law of God, the, th the third commandment. And then he teaches, he teaches us, he teaches the people in the synagogue he patiently explains things to us. He takes time with us because he knows we're a bit slow, perhaps. But this is the wonderful thing about the Lord. He's so much more patient than we are and very, very patient with ourselves. But there's something, a desire, the Lord desires for us, yes, to be saints. And to be saints will involve to know him. He wants himself to be known by us. Now, that doesn't really add anything to his greatness and majesty and glory, but he wants us to know him. And so he tells us who he is. And that also reveals to us who we are. But he, he's a teacher. He's our teacher. And in fact, 
the teaching of Jesus now is for us, you know, in the Gospels, in the Church, it is continued in our life through the teaching of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also teaches us continually. So God is always at work teaching us. And he teaches with authority. Now this is very important uh, in our acts of faith. And this, this is really a text that has to do with faith in the power of God who has the victory over evil in spite of all appearances. But why do we believe in God? Fundamentally, why do we believe in Jesus? Why do we believe in God? On his own authority. We believe in the word of God on his authority because he has revealed it. You, you might think this is very circular, but precisely it is the words and deeds of Jesus that manifest to us, as it were, the veracity of his teaching. That the words and his deeds, his words explain his deeds, his deeds confirm his words. And in that we, f we see that only God could be speaking these things, only God could be revealing these things to us, and it's on that authority that we believe. So we believe God on his own authority, not because it, it makes, you know, because it is at some point it will be a teaching that really will be very difficult, uh, <laughs> that sometimes we struggle with, sometimes we, you know, but it is a teaching that has been given to us and that we've received on his authority. So the act of faith involves a submission uh, and to some extent, an obedience to a teaching that is not man-made. And all the, the deeds, the miracles, the, the proofs, as it were, the signs that God gives us, help us to believe that, confirm where that authority lies. And this is precisely what the unclean spirit is experiencing too. He's experiencing over himself an authority that he doesn't like, but that he has to obey. So God manifests himself as a teacher. That's the first thing he does, really. When he preaches and teaches, he wants us to know. He manifests himself as the Holy One of God. So I have talked a little bit about that with the authority of God. So remember now that the word uh, that spoke in creating the word, what's an authority the greatest possible authority is, is the creating word of God. A word that not only explains or says, but creates. When he speaks, it is. That's the word of God. And that's the same word that is spoken in that synagogue. So we ha it's the word of creation. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the, the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated light from darkness. That's a perfect match for the Gospel of St. Mark tonight, where God speaks. And when he speaks, the darkness is driven away the unclean spirit. It is the creating word which has power and authority over everything that is. And so that same word 
spoken in the synagogue is the word of God in the flesh. It's Jesus himself is God the word who speaks. The word of God in the flesh. And that's why the scribes with all their human words, even though they would be explaining the word of God revealed in the prophets of the Old Testament, would have no match, it would be no match to Jesus the word who speaks and drives darkness out of the synagogue. And in speaking, he sort of recreates, he renews, he restores, he, he reorders things as they should be. So he really is offering us the only hope that we can possibly have in the state of a world that is mocked by evil, as we know it. Jesus is our only hope because he's the only authority, is the only one who has power over evil. Human Human capacities are completely helpless when faced with a drama of evil as symbolized, as it were, as manifested in that unclean spirit, but which we know all so well in all its forms. And so he comes to reclaim and to reconquer his own, and his own is literally the synagogue, the place of the word of God, the place where people come to listen to God, the place of obedience to God. And so this gospel tells us something about the authority of God and about the fundamental powerlessness of humanity. <laughs> uh, now, I don't, you know, this is not to rubbish anybody or any, you know, or the greatness of the human person. The human person is fantastic. It is endowed with capacities which make us literally like God, capable of lo loving and knowing like God, capable of being in a relationship with God, capable of knowing and loving ourselves, others and God, something which is beyond the rest of visible creatures, really. And yet, in the face of evil, we are powerless, as we know, as we know, we are... and. and and to some extent, we, we are oppressed by it. And we don't know where to turn. And this is really the experience that we have in these days of, of such tragedy and such chaos. Teacherless, leaderless, we don't know where to turn when evil manifests itself so much in so many ways. And we will continue to see it in the Gospel of St. Mark next week that the unclean spirit is not the only manifestation of what is not right, what should not be the case. But there's so many uh, other ways in which we, we find ourselves powerless against forces of destruction. And, and one of the major forces of destruction that we have to face is one that we seem to be having in ourselves, the, the destruction of sin, which we, we are marked by, and which we are helpless against and yet have to live with a sin that we find in our own hearts, things that is not right. And again, here Jesus comes right in the synagogue, reclaims, reinstall his authority. Now, if you want, with the human person, we could imagine that that synagogue in Capernaum is my heart. 
I mean, I, I may not be possessed by an evil spirit, but there's plenty of things that are not right in there. And unlike the synagogue in Capernaum, Jesus is not just going to walk in, or sometimes he dies, but he will wait for me to open up. He will wait for me to receive him. He will wait for me to allow him to reclaim his kingdom, which is my heart, and to speak his word, to speak the words that will restore me to holiness. Because the whole point of this gospel, I think, really, between the unclean and the holy, this, this drama of the fight between the Holy One of God, who is Jesus, and the unclean spirit, is, is really that Jesus is not just coming in to, to make everything right and go away and, and sort of tidy up and, and, and do a little, you know, a little dusting. He's coming in as the Holy One of God to make us holy. Because the choice is not between unclean, holy or something in the middle. What the plan is, God's plan for us, is holiness. The point of God being holy and different and set apart, but having revealed himself in words and deeds throughout the history of salvation and now the fulfillment of that in Jesus, the point of this is for his holiness, his own life his own self, to be shared, to be given over to us so that the purpose of the coming of Jesus, the purpose of his death and resurrection, the purpose of all his actions and signs, the purpose of his teaching and words is for us to share in God's own nature, as St. Peter says, is for us to be filled with the life of God now and forever. It's for us to be holy. So he comes to us who are utterly powerless to do that for ourselves, of course. But he comes to do it for us, in us. And so it really is a matter of opening up that little synagogue of our hearts and to let the word speak and, and drive the darkness away and bring, give his holiness, make us holy, because we do not make ourselves holy. No saint is the origin of his own sanctity. God makes the saints, and God wants to make all of us saints. The only crucial decision that we have to make is precisely that obedience of faith. Under which authority, under whose authority am I going to place myself? Am I going to allow him to come in and share his holiness with me? So we are called to this obedience of faith. And paradoxically, coming under the obedience of faith looks at like coming under the yoke of Jesus looks like oppression. And to, to the outside, from, from an external point of view, sometimes us in the church, we look like we're oppressed. I mean, you know, me and my habits, I look like an oppressed medieval woman. Um, but it actually, it's, it's in fact the contrary that is the truth. That the oppression is really the oppression when we suffer from the yoke 
of evil, the yoke of the un being unclean, which is a slavery. And, and that man possessed by the, by the unclean spirit in the synagogue is a perfect image for, for a world possessed by all sorts of drives, all sorts of vices that they can't get rid of, that we are powerless against. And I really mean all of us. Um, but when we come to the obedience of faith, the free and loving obedience of faith, we find ourselves really free. We find that this is no slavery at all. And in fact, sometimes we, 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 we find that it's as if we have too much freedom because we, we, I don't know about you, but I find myself wishing that there was a bit more compulsion in my life to pray, a bit more compulsion in my life to, um, you know, to turn to the Lord. Why am I so free? Why is it all up, always up to me? Um, because really, the Lord will not want to be a tyrant, and he never is a tyrant. The Lord is a king who only invites our free and loving obedience to him, not our oppression, not our, sub our slavish submission. And he will never make us act under compulsion. He wants our freedom. That's the mystery of that receiving that word of God, the word with, with, which speaks with authority and can literally completely transform not only that synagogue in Capernaum, but our whole hearts from a place of darkness to a place of light, from a place of uncleannesses to a place of holiness. And this is the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to share what she has been given. And so in the, in the church, we find, again, the words and deeds of the Lord. And this is, you know, in Mass, what happens in Mass? We hear the word of God and, and we behold the work of salvation, deeds and word, word and deeds. The liturgy of the word, the liturgy of the Eucharist. This is what the Lord says and this is what he does with the same authority, the authority of the Creator who in Jesus has come and has redeemed us, has saved us. The authority of the one who speaks and it is. So that when, through the ministry of the church, God speaks his word, this is my body which is given for you, and I absolve you of your sins in the sacrament. When the words of Jesus are, speak, are spoken through the authority of the church, through the ministry uh, of the priest, what is said is done. And the unclean becomes holy. You know, the sinner that is me who goes to confession and receives absolution, this is exactly what happens. So that synagogue event in Mark is, is literally now the mission of the church. And so what responsibility we all have, and not just the ordained ministers, but all of us, to be recipients of the holiness of the Lord and to guard us ourselves from mingling with the unclean spirits, as it were. Guarding ourselves from sin. Because 
that the church is supposed, the mission of the church is to be that light in the darkness. It is literally the body of Christ. Now, we talked about the church as holy, the holy Catholic and apostolic church. That holiness has nothing to do with how good and deserving the members of the church are in and of themselves by nature. No, the holiness of the church is the holiness of Jesus, because Jesus and the church is one, are one, one body. And in fact, St. Paul compares the relation of Jesus and the church to the spousal religion, religion where man and wife become one. This is my body given for you. The holiness of the church is the holiness of Jesus, the Holy One of God. And when we are members of the church and do not receive that holiness, close ourselves off from the holiness of Jesus, we betray the church. We betray the mission of the church. We betray the character of the church. And we exclude ourselves from the church implicitly, even though we might be externally in, we're in fact out. And so the, the witness, that responsibility that we have is, is really great. It's a responsibility for all of us to desire holiness, to be open to holiness. Now, of course, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we do. It's something we respond to. But do we respond to it? And... In the church, we find all the help that we need, all the means that we need to become saints, the word of God and the very, the very, the sacraments of, of Jesus, the sacraments of the church, which, which sanctify us and the constant companionship of the Holy Spirit, who is here as well as the sanctifier. So we have everything we need. We have been given everything, but it's a matter of being receptive and of keeping our hope in the Lord, of believing in his authority in spite of all appearances. And this is where the, the biggest challenge is for us. For us, the challenge is to keep believing in the authority of Jesus, in the authority of his word, in the authority of his power in the authority of the light of darkness, to keep our hope firm in him. Because this, this is usually the most difficult thing. If we can just keep trusting in him, he has the authority, he has the power, he does it as he speaks it, then that's the way that we open ourselves to his work. That's the way we open ourselves to his life. So that, that really is the crucial thing. And that from opening ourselves to him, then we see things are beginning to shift and move and change in our lives. This is where, but it's fundamental to remember that he does it in us. And this will bear fruit in the way that we love ourselves, that we love others and that we love him. So the plan of God it really is to make us holy as he is holy. And that plan is realized against all odds and against all appearances in and through the church. And this is what we believe on his authority. <laughs>